perhaps the industry needs to look at itself first and start looking at instead of saying, well, we can't do X, Y, Z because we haven't got, we can't bring people in. Why aren't we training people? Why aren't we looking at every part of our society and including them within our businesses and include and providing a career pathway? Kiora, I'm Troy, here as CEO and welcome to Stirring the Pot. Thanks for connecting. If you're new, here's what you can expect. We're going to be talking the tough stuff, the things that keep us metalheads up at night. There are many challenges facing our industry and equally many opinions on how we should tackle them. Stirring the Pot provides a facilitated forum to discuss and challenge these viewpoints. So let's get to the nuts and bolts of it. Today, we're talking with Margaret Devlin and Amy Barrett. Margaret is the Chair of the Infrastructure in New Zealand Board, and Amy has recently been elected as the Chair of their Diversity Advisory Board, a new initiative to guide stronger and broader diversity initiatives in the infrastructure sector. Well, kia ora kōrua. I'd, I'd love to start off by getting to know a bit more about yourselves and the career paths you've had to date and how you've become involved with Infrastructure New Zealand and the initiatives that they're doing. Um, Margaret, perhaps we could start with you. Uh, kia ora, Kim, and thank you for the invitation to join today's podcast. Um, look, I, I guess you'll hear from my accent and hopefully you'll guess that I'm not originally from Aotearoa. Uh, so I started my life back in Ireland and actually didn't want infrastructure wasn't on my list initially. I moved from my university graduation to work in England, which is a lot of what Irish people do, um, and started working in retail. And from retail, then moved into the water sector in the early 90s um, during the privatisation of the water industry in the UK. And from there, then got involved in infrastructure in its widest sense. But again, my background is economics and finance, not engineering. Um, so you're know, a, a different pathway from others. Moved to New Zealand 16 years ago, building my um, governance career uh, and from my governance career, you will see that I am actively involved in a number of infrastructure companies throughout uh, the country and got involved with Infrastructure New Zealand really in a proactive way, probably about three, four years ago. I, I hesitate when I say three to four years, because when you get old, the years just blend so quickly. Uh, so I think it's about three or four years ago when we set up uh, the Women in Infrastructure Network, which uh, obviously we'll talk a little bit about more throughout podcast but the the beauty of that network is that we we just chiseled into something that was there you know so we started from a zero base to now you know seven chapters throughout the country a very active membership base and Amy will talk a little bit more about the next stages to that as we start to look at not just uh diversity within within infrastructure being a gender piece, but also looking at it in its widest definition. Uh, and that includes, you know, ethnicity, sexual orientation, but also, you know, it's not just binary male, female. There's a lot of discussion around what does diversity mean and also what can it do to assist in actually addressing some of the infrastructure challenges that we have such as the delivery of some very significant infrastructure programs throughout the country. So that's kind of me in a, a potted 
history. Kia ora. My goodness, and what a history it is. I, I love your twists and turns of your career pathway to bring you into infrastructure. Probably not too dissimilar to myself as well. I certainly didn't start off thinking I'd be working in the infrastructure or engineering sector. So it's amazing how life takes you on those twists and turns. And I'd also like to acknowledge your whakapapa back to Ireland, a beautiful place. I actually lived there for a little bit of my time in Dublin, working in the hotels there. Um, so that's really cool to have you um, in, in that background coming into this corridor. It just shows that diversity already in our room. So that's great. Uh, Amy, how about yourself? Uh, how have you come to be part of Infrastructure New Zealand and also within the industry itself? Yeah, kia ora. and uh, Echo Mark, thank you for, for having us. It's my first podcast ever, so I'm quite excited about you know being able to being able to to, to get in there. Um, look, I guess I've had a few twists and turns along the way as well. Um, look, my, in my current role, I'm a, a general manager with Downer, um, but in an, my also very important other role, um, I'm a mum to an eight year old and a nine year old, and, and I've got a, a husband who's a project manager in the um, in the construction industry as well. Um, I stumbled into infrastructure about 20-odd years ago, um, actually in the UK on my big OE. One of my, my first temp jobs was actually in, um, in a really large infrastructure developer and equity investor, um, and they worked on public-private partnerships over there. And I, um, I became involved in some bidding activity and uh, I sort of helped on one. Uh, helped on another, did one, led one, and, and off we went, and, and several years went, went by. So I worked on a number of um, really large social infrastructure um, projects over there, hospitals, schools, um, police and courts. And when I returned to New Zealand um, after several years had passed, I uh, worked in different parts of the sector. I worked for a large law firm and strategy. I worked in commercial property and development and large industrial, and uh, also medical for a while. But I joined Downer about nine years ago, um, actually just after my, my daughter was born. And I moved in to help them set up uh, a, a large national bid team in their major project space. And uh, I was fortunate to be able to be involved over the, sort of the, the progress of time in some acquisitions. Um, Downer um, acquired both the Hawkins and the Spotless businesses uh, during my time, and I was involved in those. Um, and though that involvement led to me spending some time within those businesses. And again, just, you know, understanding of the broader sense of infrastructure, it's not just about what we build, right? It's about what we look after for the long term and how we do that. Um, in terms of in terms of um, infrastructure New Zealand, I believe I went to my first infrastructure New Zealand event um, probably a good fifteen years ago. I think um, you know right back in the in the early days, and and I've been a regular attendee at the Building Nations Symposium for for you know right right through the time. Um, about um, I think it was twenty sixteen, um, I, I was approached by um, Sarah Lang at Infrastructure New Zealand at the time as she was founding the Women in Infrastructure. Network, um, and she wanted to form an advisory board, um, which obviously Margaret was was part of back in those early days as well. And and over the the, the time period since, um, that network has has expanded um, several thousand women, seven chapters around the the country, um, and a lot of really interesting initiatives. Uh, and I also the other thing that I'm, I'm keen to to focus in is my interest, um, I guess. And enthusiasm for diversity has grown over time. And in Dana in the last few years, I've been part of Nakaitiaki Otiara Fanaki, which is 
um, a, a leadership um, advisory board that we've set up internally to help set down a strategic direction for developing young Māori leaders. And I also work with an amazing group of young um, female grad engineers at Downer, um, Hewahine Kotahitanga, um, helping to support them. Um, they are working really hard to make our, our on-site activity more inclusive. Oh, what a beautiful corridor there. It's just so heartwarming to hear all of these initiatives happening right out amongst our industry. It is just very exciting that I guess businesses are really understanding and grasp um, it's our people, isn't it, that are the most important thing. So investing the time towards programs such as diversity and inclusion is, is a strong part of that HR innovation within our industry. So it's, it's awesome to hear those initiatives coming to the front and for you all to be involved in it. I guess, Margaret, uh, as part of Infrastructure New Zealand's commitment to diversity and inclusion, um, they have established the Women in Infrastructure Network and the Infrastructure Collective uh, to support our rangatahi, our younger people entering into the workforce. What is the driver to now establish this diversity advisory board? Great question. And I guess, Kim, coming back to... You know, the drivers for setting up when and the driver for setting up the infrastructure collective. It's now looking at, well, how can we bring this all together? And if I reflect back on Building Nations Conference last year, which we had in November uh, virtually, which was, again, um, a new experience for all of us actually running a virtual conference. It was exciting and nerve wracking all at the same time. Uh, and yes, we had those challenges of technology as well. But when we asked our members, what are the, the things that you want us to look at? And we, we ran a poll throughout each of the days of the conference and three things came up consistently. Climate change, how to fund and finance infrastructure and resources, retention, attraction and the attrition issue with resources and subsequent to that, the wider discussion around diversity. So if you look at each and every one of those, uh, each of them requires a focus and in particular around people. And if you look at the current pandemic and we're all desperate for the borders to open so we can go and re-engage with the world. But one of the things I think, one of the positives, if there is a positive to this pandemic, is that we should start looking at how we actually grow our own people, how we use our own people. Um, and yes, the whole industry, not just infrastructure, but across New Zealand has suffered from a lack of resources. But in part, and I think I recall, and Amy, you may remember Minister Mahuda giving us a little bit of a tune-up on this to say, well, actually, you know, perhaps the industry needs to look at itself first. And start looking at instead of saying, well, we can't do X, Y, Z because we haven't got, we can't bring people in. Why aren't we training people? Why aren't we looking at every part of our society and including them within our businesses and include and providing a career pathway? So part of our discussion within Infrastructure New Zealand has been very much around, as I say, broadening that definition. So initially we started with women in infrastructure. And again, back to that infamous 2016-2017 Infrastructure New Zealand Conference, 
Amy, where I think you could probably count the number of women attending on one hand. Uh, to you know, to the the last conference we had in a physical sense was the 2020 conference, where I think it was probably a good 40% of the delegates were actually women. So you know, we actually move on to that discussion about we want to normalise diversity, but the other part of it, and we might want to come on and discuss this further. It's also about the inclusion. So it's all very well to talk about diversity targets and let's work with organizations to get more people in of a different um, thought process, etc. But actually, what is our culture in the organization that makes people feel included and include you know, as part of the organization and that we don't just simply go to a tick box exercise where we can say, yeah, yeah, we've got a diversity policy, we've got six of those, five of them, four of the other. But actually, the, the culture in the organization does not make people feel welcome. And in fact, you're actually going, get, you know, you're actually having a counterproductive process as opposed to something positive. And the best example of that is, you know, the question that rages quite often is, should you have quotas on boards? And, and particularly wanting to move the gender diversity and the male female gender diversity split on a board. So let's have, you know, everybody has to be 50% male female. In theory, that sounds really excellent, but are you doing people a disservice? Are you actually, again, just creating another little piece of diversity elsewhere or another little piece of unconscious bias elsewhere? So really important that going back to your question, why have we gone for expanding the definition and having our diversity advisory board, it is actually to hold the sector to account and hold the infrastructure New Zealand board to account for actually delivering against our diversity agenda. And if I may, a quick plug that we will be coming out shortly with um, requesting nominations for the infrastructure New Zealand board. So I would urge everyone to think about, well, yes, I'd like to be on this board because, again, even within our own board, I think on a gender piece, we're probably OK. But actually around ethnicity and other aspects of diversity, including you know, uh, sexual orientation and um, age, we're probably not there. So let's have a wee bit of a, a a push and use use today's podcast to hopefully encourage people to put their names forward. Thanks, Margaret. I actually really love this idea of the diversity advisory board because, as you say, it's kind of like a governance mechanism to hold people to account. And I definitely think that that needs to be part of the the conversation we're having, so that we are just you know checking to ourselves: Are we doing this? on a genuine basis, or is this something else that we're doing? So I think it's a fantastic idea. So, Amy, you've come on board to chair this board. What do you see as being the key mandates of the board moving forward? Absolutely. So, so Margaret has talked a little bit about that concept of being a board to hold Infrastructure New Zealand board to account um, in terms of diversity. The mandate is very much around guiding and supporting Infrastructure New Zealand and members um, to create and sustain a diverse and inclusive infrastructure sector that's welcoming and provides opportunities for all. Um, so it involves 
providing guidance and support to those networks that we talked about earlier. So the women in infrastructure and the infrastructure sector. So um, helping helping them with their activities and amplifying their impact as well. Um, and the the diversity advisory board will also have its own work program um, and um, a, a strategy to to go ahead and, and achieve its targeted outcomes. So its activities will be centered around looking at some initiatives that have got wide benefits for multiple dimensions of diversity. Yes, that is great. I I actually really like how you've started off, you you know, you've started WIN, which is supporting women in engineering or the construction industry, and and then expanded out to youth. And, And I love this idea that you're really looking to explore other aspects because sometimes those tend to be the key ones that people think about. But there's just so much more to it than that. Uh, so a way to capture all the diverse aspects of people and the colours they bring to the table, I think that's such a great way to do it because then we start expanding the scope out. Um, and it's kind of similar to what HERA is doing, actually. So um, in our 2020 conference, we also were touching on um, the cultural aspects of diversity and we had speakers from um, Puhoro STEM Academy who looked to promote youth in engineering but also Māori in engineering um, which is something that we've really been sort of trying to hold the pillar up for Um, and we also had a lot of students come in to share their kaupapa, their thinking around our industry and what we could do to make a change so that they would be attracted to work for us And I think that was quite confronting for our industry because they've never had that sort of feedback straight to their faces. And there was some resistance to the responses that our students were giving them because it's different. You know, the tides have changed and everyone's got a stronger voice now, particularly as we um, hold up the pillars of including diversity into our thought processes and accepting that everyone brings something different to the table. Yeah, it was quite a, an interesting uh, conversation to be had. So you know, there's a lot going on in this space and it's great to see it having like a real strong part of the future of Infrastructure New Zealand and, and these initiatives. And I guess, Margaret, you did touch on it earlier around diversity uh, and the need for inclusion. And, and they're not really new concepts. Why do you think we're in a place where... <laughs> Initiatives like when are even required, you know, shouldn't this really be the norm? What's your thoughts on that? One of the issues that we talked about, and Amy will remember this, one of the first objectives for the WIN network and the WIN advisory board was how to make diversity normal, how to normalise diversity in, in the sector. And look, I think, there's, there's lots of studies that talk about the benefits of diversity, uh, lots of st- studies that talk about you know, the importance of having a good culture in an organisation. But it requires hard work. It requires the, the, the stopping and the thinking, the stopping and the asking the questions, uh, the stopping and really questioning the unconscious bias of an, of an organisation. And it doesn't matter how we might think our own minds are quite liberal. There are things that we all carry that unconscious bias with us. So it's actually, it's the hard work. To be quite honest, Kim, the easy bit is setting up the networks. And you know, networks are great because we all need networks. 
And I think this current pandemic has demonstrated that people do want to get together, they want to be together, and they want to share ideas. The important thing about a network is that it doesn't become, you know, too myopic. And again, if I look at the WIND network and the speakers that they have, it's about how they provide support to each other, how they challenge each other, and even things like during the last lockdown, you know, I think the Auckland Wind chapter, they were having uh, yoga sessions, well-being sessions, but with it, you know, all done virtually, which again, you know, some people might poo-poo that and say, well, what's that got to do with it? But the reality is we operate in a 24, 24-hour day world uh, and, you know, people don't necessarily switch off in the way that they used to. So consequently, it is important that you have that, those networks. But getting back to the question about diversity and inclusion. People genuinely do want, I believe, to make that difference. Of course, there's always going to be those at the periphery who will argue that there's nothing wrong, Um, but genuinely want to make that difference. So it's how we actually help them and how we actually help them through a process that it's, it's nothing to fear about diversity. Diversity isn't saying that what happened in the past was wrong. What happened in the past has happened we move forward, we should learn from it. And, you know, I I love the the example you've given about, you know, bringing youth into the discussions. Because again, you know, we start looking at the world in which we operate today, you know, concepts that perhaps we hadn't really given consideration to even 10, 15 years ago, climate change, the role of technology, how are we going to be carbon neutral? How do we drive those changes? And you know what? Diversity also looks at how do you blend experience with energy? So it's not throwing everything out. It's uh, and maybe I just become a bit more sensitive to this as I get older, that you do have the experience. Uh, so it's how you blend that experience and the energy together to actually get a better outcome. Um, but coming back to we need to challenge the status quo. We know that uh, whilst we've got a lot of learnings, that we can't continue doing what we're doing. And that's across a whole gambit of things. But for me, fundamentally, it's about we have a great resource in the available people to us. Let's not pigeonhole it into we can only look at this group or that group and create the environment that people feel that they can put their hand up, they can raise the question and create that environment. Well, you know, sometimes the answer might be wrong, but that's okay. Let's keep going. You know, and as others have heard me say, the road to excellence is always under construction. And that's what we need to keep thinking about that, you know, we may take, we may have to do a diversion, but that's okay because we create that culture that allows us to explore and get better and continue to get better. Beautifully put, Margaret. I couldn't agree more. And I think it's just a matter of time before this is something that we we really understand and embrace. Um, so it's not if, it's when, when we get this right and start embracing it. And I actually really enjoy the fact that I'm talking to two wahine tour coming out of the construction sector. It's lovely to have female leaders that I can speak to. So, you know, this is an example of a tide of change, isn't it, that we are starting to see that diversity peak through. As Wahine, a woman working in the infrastructure sector, do you feel your gender has influenced your experience in your career pathways to date? 
What's your thoughts on that, Amy? Um, this is a, this is a tricky one. I think until you know, for a, a, quite a period in my early career, I don't think it really ever crossed my mind. Um, probably until I was in my late twenties, um, there were generally quite a few women around um, doing similar roles and similar things. But there sort of came a point where that stopped and lots left to start families or they you know, changed to a career with maybe a little bit more flexibility. Um, and I did get to a point there where I suddenly looked around and went, where, where have all the women gone? Um, and that happened sort of more as I moved into more senior roles, definitely. So that was one factor, and certainly I think gender has at times made me feel like I didn't fit in. I wasn't quite normal, you know, going to those industry events, and Margaret mentioned mentioned what they were like, you know, many years ago, but even just, you know, at client briefings, um, going and being really the only woman, and, and having that feeling that perhaps you were judged as being a little bit less significant than others, um, or that you didn't have as much to maybe contribute to the same old sort of sports stories that got reeled out again and again. So, so those were ways in which I think my gender, you know, did has influenced my um, experience. But, but I think that has changed over time. I think the industry is changing. We are seeing it, and I've probably changed too. I, I probably um, wouldn't really care as much. Um, now I just regale them, regale them with stories about things that I think are fun and interesting. Um, but I think, too, I've been really, my experience at Downer, I've been very well supported there, and um, they're very keen on diversity at all levels of the organisation. There's been a number of times where they've really bent over backwards to help support me when I've had um, when I've had uh, things going on with the family or, or things that have needed my attention. Um, and I sometimes wonder whether, in a way, my ride's been a little bit easier from that perspective often it's a little bit more normal for women to get flexibility to help with family things than it is, is for men or it has been um, so I think um, there's, there's, there's ways in which uh, my gender's uh, certainly been a really positive factor and there's a few times that it's certainly made things a little bit a little bit harder. Thank you for being so open and honest. Often when I ask that question, everyone says, oh, it's great, no, no impact whatsoever. So it's, it's good to hear a genuine response to that. So no pressure, Margaret. How about yourself? Well, I guess listening to Amy and, and my story probably slightly different in that certainly uh, as I progressed through organisations, it wasn't unusual that I was the only woman in the room. Um, and as I progressed further, it wasn't unusual that I was the only woman in the room and indeed the most senior person in that room. Uh, and the responses and reactions to that at times were interesting, to say the least. Um, I can share with you, uh, I used to work for a French company and uh, you know, the, their view of hierarchy and diversity has, I'm sure, improved over the years. But um, you know, everyone used to really want to sit next to the president of the company, but I always got to sit next to him because I was the only woman in the room. And you could see the, the others thinking, you know, almost pole vaulting across the table to get sitting next to him. And I'm thinking I would give anything to be sitting at the other end of the table. You know, so th those sorts of just kind of funny examples. But, you know, 
certainly I've had comments made to me about, you know, not just, um, you know, my, my, my gender, but also the fact that, you know, I am Irish. And uh, when I went to work in England um, in the 80s, you know, people say they love the Irish, but if you worked in England in the 80s, which was the height of the troubles in, in Northern Ireland, let me tell you, the Irish were not liked. Um, uh, so, you know, you come up against a bit of uh, abuse uh, about your race just because you happen to be of a particular race. And But I have seen businesses now genuinely trying to make that change. But again, uh, I have found myself at times being the, the lone voice of, you know, I can see my male colleagues lifting their eyes up and saying, oh, here she goes again about, you know, I'll ask questions about, well, where, where are the women in the the, the um, recruitment list? Where are the women in the organisational chart? What are we doing about uh, improving our performance, our stats around uh, women and flexible working, those sorts of things? So again, my role is slightly different in that I probably have the privilege of being able to ask those questions and not just ask the questions, but actually insist on an answer and insist that we actually do make those changes. But as I say, it is a journey. And I think the journey, as you're, you're quite right, Kim, is starting now to accelerate and accelerate for the right reason. And in many ways, you know, and I know I've made a couple of references to the pandemic, but that's actually given us a bit of a platform to do things differently. So, you know, uh, flexible working that Amy alluded to, well, you know, I think the stat, and I might have got these numbers slightly wrong, you know, up until the first lockdown, New Zealand companies had talked about working from home, I think it was about 300 days it had taken them to debate it. When the Prime Minister said, you're all going to have to work from home, it took two days. So, you know, let's learn from that and let's not go back to some of those old ways of everybody has to be in an office nine to five um, you know, everybody has to be available. And in fact, during our conference um, last year, one of our keynote speakers urged us hugely, don't go, don't slip backwards. Actually look at what you've, you've benefited from and embrace that and include it in what you're doing. And that, again, opens up those doors to, to allow things to be done in a different way. You know, the working day is not nine to five. It's not Monday to Friday anymore. But we've also got to be mindful of the fact that we don't want to be burning people out either. So it's how you balance all of that as well. Absolutely. And I think if I were to take some takeaway points, key takeaway points from both of your responses to that, is that we must learn from our past um, and our past experiences in our work careers. And I guess also what that means is we become more resilient experienced people which bring some different thoughts to the table in the here and now which I can see is obviously influencing the work that you're currently doing today so it's all part of that learning isn't it and I think when it comes to diversity inclusion many actually mistake it for being the same things uh, that diversity is inclusion and inclusion is diversity what is the difference Amy? Yeah, I, I mean, diversity is diversity is about embracing difference, right? Which is really important. It's about um, it's about having difference, um, but inclusivity is about belonging. So it's much, much more, and you can't get the benefits really from having that diverse team if if the individuals don't feel that they 
are, are welcomed, that they're heard, and that they're valued. I guess that sums it up for me. So diversity is very much not enough by itself. Um, I, I often think about the infrastructure sector as sometimes uh, being a little bit exclusive, so the opposite of, of inclusive. Um, but what I'd love to see and what I'd love to influence be part of is a mindset change where we all acknowledge and it's understood that infrastructure is part of all of our daily lives. It's actually really, really important, no matter who you are. So everybody should have um, or should feel that they can have a rewarding career contributing to it. Um, there's absolutely, you know, nothing, um, you know, mystical or or um, special about it. It's it's just an essential part of our lives. Um, it's for everyone. Completely agree. I think when I reflect back on my career, I uh, really didn't bring my whole self to my mahi. I probably hid my Māori side of me for quite some time there. I never really saw the value of it in the workplace. And I really just thought it was just something that I did at home, you know, like my true self. And really having the right leader, so I really have to um, – Totok or my CEO, who said to me, actually, that's one of the parts that makes you so unique and so important to have in our business. It really clocked me. I had to really sit back and think about that because I'd never seen it from that angle before. And I think that's part of that mindset change, isn't it? Is that it's not just for the business, it's also for the person to, to understand that everyone is unique and bring something to the table and embrace it rather than hide it or put it to the side. Um, so, yeah, definitely inclusion is a big piece of that puzzle. Um, and, and I think, you know, interestingly enough, what I hear from industry is some are really going for this and really understanding the value of it. And there's a lot of people who probably look at it more on the fluffy side, like, oh, that's just something that everyone's talking about that's not really important or really won't make a difference. What... What what would we say is a business case to these people, I guess, or the naysayers, the resistant naysayers, um, to to change that mindset and, and to move it from a tick box, tick box exercise to something that they genuinely embrace and do? Margaret, what do you think about that? Look, there is a real challenge in that if you force people without bringing them along, it then builds a bigger resistance. Um, so it's actually looking at why are people resistant or why why did they think, oh, it's just a tick box or these people add no value. So it's actually been able to have those conversations. And in my experience, when you start having conversations, you start to realise that you're probably in agreement with 90%, and but yet we only focus on the 10% that we're not in agreement about. So how do we actually have those conversations that allow us to not fear diversity? You know, and part of it, it is in our DNA. We're brought up in a certain way. Um, you might go to school in a certain way. And maybe the first time you meet someone of a different religion or, you know, a, a different perspective is when you come to the workplace. But, you know, by that stage, you've already had a number of you know things fixed in your mind. So it's actually about encouraging people to share, encouraging the appreciation and not being dismissive. So coming back to my earlier points about diversity around a board table, you know, 
you don't dismiss the experience, but you have to embrace the energy. So you don't you don't dismiss what others are saying. Um, well, I'm right and you're wrong. It isn't about that. It's about creating that appreciation and creating uh, the fact that we should be celebrating that we're different, celebrating and recognizing those differences and allowing people to be their true self, their authentic self when they come to work. We're not expecting them to, to hide away somewhere or to, to be a different person. Because actually, you're not going to get the best out of people if you try and squeeze them into a box that says this is what you need to do. You know, so again, you know, sharing some examples. You know, many years ago, when you had to wear your PPE on site, um, you know, it wasn't unusual just to be told to you know turn turn up the, the trouser legs and pull the pull the belt a bit tighter because there wasn't any uh, anything other than it was you know large extra large, extra large again, and they were all in men's sizes, you know, those sorts of things. And, you know, whilst we laugh about it now, you know, how, how welcome did you feel when you were probably walking about a, a field looking a bit like Ronald McDonald with everything kind of way too long for you and too big for you? So even something as simple as that, it's important that people feel they're valued, that they're valued enough that you're going to have a uh, the proper PPE for them. They're valued enough that you celebrate their differences uh, and appreciate their differences. And again, not about getting onto a, a soapbox and saying you need to do X, Y, Z, but it's creating that environment that allows those discussions and allows that appreciation to happen and encourage right the way through the organization and don't pigeonhole people into uh, you, you can do that, but you can't do that. So it's part of that encouragement that anybody can do anything if you put your mind to it. Completely agree. And actually, that sounds like a really great practical step that can be taken for a business um, to even just look at their surroundings and say, hey, is this inviting to everyone? Mm -hmm. I remember getting some comments from people from industry um, and a lady was saying, oh, you know, I go onto site and there's no female toilets. You know, that's a simple example. So, you know, that is one practical step that can be taken is just to even look at your environment and say, hey, does it work for everyone? You know, mm -hmm. the PPE idea as well. Amy, do you think there are any other sort of practical steps and interventions that can be put into place to, I guess, attract and retain a more diverse workforce? Mm, I, I think it starts probably right at recruitment. And there's lots of things you can do, you know, right up front in the recruitment process to make sure that you're attracting as broad a range of talent as possible. So um, making sure there's no gender bias coming in and making sure that the value of difference is really embraced and considered. So not hiring like for like um, and checking ourselves when we, when we, we start to, um, to feel that way. Um, certainly flexibility is a, a key part of it. And flexibility is something that means that it's not it's not just flexibility because that will appeal to people with family commitments, but flexibility in a role may enable someone with a disability um, to look at it. It may appeal to somebody at a different stage of their career who's looking um, at retirement and it may you know, keep them as part of the, the workforce for, for longer. So, so the more flexible you can be in your approach, um, the more people you will um, open up to. Uh, I think, you know, and, and then practically, there is the whole connection piece. So um, certainly networks and, and buddying up, but also 
mentoring and that step beyond mentoring, which is sponsorship. So it is how how do we make sure that it is encouraged and rewarded for people to take someone under their wing and really ease their way and ease their path. Um, and I guess one of the things too for me is in any organisation, uh, you need to have a zero tolerance for poor behaviour. When when something happens, um, even just a little bit of a whisper about something happening, um, you need to actively get to the bottom of it, um, make sure that everybody and the business has got the tools to deal with things. Because, you know, organisations are all just still a, a collection of people, right? And there will be um, some individuals who, um, who you know, perhaps might not be as embracing as, as we would like them to be. And, and we've, we've got to slowly sort of move them along on their journey. Sure. Yeah, a little bit of performance management there. So I guess what that's... Oh, sorry. And, um, you know, what Amy described there is what a lot of businesses have, you know, so they have their policies and procedures and um, comes back to my earlier comment about ticking the box. It's then important for management and those in governance to start getting underneath that and understanding, well, you know, are these things working? So an example, you know, a lot of businesses have a whistleblowing policy and they'll very happily say, oh, we don't have anybody making any reports. So you know, my first question then is, well, how do we know? Is it working? Has anybody actually tried to ring the number? You know, and whilst that might seem a little bit lighthearted, it's, it's important that you get beneath that. And that's part of the change that I am seeing that it's certainly moving away from, oh, yeah, we've got all the policies in place to, well, are these things actually working? You know, are we really seeing the difference? So, yeah, we might have a great parental leave scheme, but who's using it? We might have a great flexible working scheme, but how many people are actually using it? We might have a great, you know, work from home, but who's doing it? And so really driving that change it comes back to my earlier comments that we actually have to keep driving. We have to keep pushing through. Otherwise, all that happens is we kind of create, I think, a almost a, a bubble that doesn't exist and a bubble of confidence that's not there. That we to actually make these things happen, it takes everybody to keep pushing, and that's pushing up, down, sideways, across, and that's where that again encouraging the culture of everyone challenging. I think that is just yeah, it's actually really gets your mind thinking when you look at it from that perspective. And I think it actually really answers the question I was going to ask, which was whose role is it to do all of this? You know, who, who who's developing these and leading these diversity inclusion initiatives? Because, you know, on one hand, we can say it's leadership's role, but then who's upholding this and who's holding people to account? Mm-hmm. So I guess it sounds like it's everybody's role. It is. So well, certainly so, I believe it is. Yeah. So what happens if you're an employee of a company and your leadership isn't holding the manner of diversity inclusion? What happens then? Look, you're probably going to leave. Yeah. That's the cold hard base of it. And if we're looking for the business case for inclusion, right? You know, actually, actually, retaining, holding, and re- 
attracting and retaining staff in the current climate where we've got a skills shortage um, and um, a huge war for talent, um, organisations that actually genuinely uh, walk the talk on diversity and, and inclusion are those who will come out ahead. That's the nuts and bolts of it, right? If you want good staff who stay for you, you've got to blink and look after them. Correct. <laughs> stop. But, but also, um, it's also for at every level of the business, but particularly from those leadership roles, that if that, if we're not seeing the changes you thought you were going to have, then you hold people to account. And if you look at that wider piece, particularly around contractors and those who work and advise into the sector, you know, there's been a little bit of reticence, and Amy may have a view on this as well, for businesses, for clients to say, well, we expect you to have a diversity and inclusion policy and we want to see what you're doing. But interestingly, there isn't the same reticence around having a health, safety and well-being policy. So, again, it's part of the, the changing and continually pushing forward to say this is what we expect. And if you want to work for us or with us, then you need to actually, here is our expectations, here are our standards. And if you don't comply with those standards, then it will be a very different conversation. Totoko, I think that's just amazing. Thank you so much, ladies, to the both of you for sharing your mātauranga, your experiences and your knowledge. I, I really commend the work that you are both leading to make positive change like this. Uh, so thank you very much for both of your time. So there you go. Thanks for joining our conversation with Margaret and Amy today. If you'd like to connect more with them, you'll find their details in the show notes. The month of March is Women's History Month and the 8th of March, International Women's Day. So I have felt very privileged to talk to these wahine toa in the space of diversity and inclusion today. I look forward to the day where our industry is represented by a diverse range of people. After all, inclusion is a right and should not be a privilege for a select few. Food for thought till we see you next time. So hit subscribe and if you liked what you heard today, please like, review or share with any metalheads you know. Let's spread the word. If you liked what you heard today, you may be interested to join our HR Innovation Cluster. It explores a whole range of HR related aspects so that as an industry, we can ensure we have the right skills and mindset to create a strong workforce. To find out more, please get in touch with our innovation and transformation architect, Greg Buckley. You'll find his details in the show notes.